everybody, and welcome to the newest episode of the Philly Blitz TV. This is our second episode and a uh, very special episode because we have a very special guest with us today. We got a uh, number one uh, QB on the field and in our hearts, Mark Schofield with us today, as well as Pierre and Quell. How are you guys all doing today? Doing good, man. Excited to be back. Awesome, man. Awesome. Yes, sir. As you always, always know, it is I, the one and only Mark Schofield, Chris Oz. As Park said, we're excited to have a special guest man joining us for the second time. Of course, the only difference is we're not just here to contextualize quarterbacks. We're here to contextualize all of the NFL draft. So, very glad to have Mark here to give us some of his expertise. Excited to be back, guys. We're looking forward to this one. Uh, you know, I was on before the draft. That was a ton of fun. But now we get, you know, landing spots. We get actual picks to talk about. So, excited to dive into it. All right, man, let's get to it, you guys. All right. So, I mean, since we're here talking about some of the landing spots, I mean, do you have any specific, do you guys in general as a whole have any specific favorite landing spots? Not just like, oh, I think that guy fits there very well, but more so in terms of I think his skill set fits what this team likes to do schematically. I mean, I can go first and, you know, a player that back in like January, I started mocking him to this team, you know, and I had, you know, members of that fan base, like scream at me every time I did it. Like they're not going to draft this position. They're not going to draft this player. And that's sauce Garner to the jets. Um, you know, when I was studying sauce during the regular season, and then obviously before the draft, like I saw Richard Sherman. I mean, that's what I saw. Um, Sherman himself basically said sauce was his CB one, you know, said he reminded him a lot of himself with the length, with the way he played, and you think about what Robert Sala does defensively, what he did in San Francisco with Sherman, how he used him. I thought the fit made so much sense. So, you know, I that was one that I absolutely loved. A little bit later in the draft, I mean, Baltimore getting Kyle Hamilton, you know, that's such a Baltimore Ravens pick to take advantage of a guy sliding a little bit. But I think that made a ton of sense for them. You know, when you get deeper into the first round, the Jets again getting Jermaine Johnson at the end of the first round you know, to, to trade back into the first round the way they did to grab him, I thought was a great pick. And then Alec Pierce, I really liked Alec Pierce, studying him, the receiver out of Cincinnati. I think he's going to be perfect for what the Colts want to be. And so those were some off the top of my head. I was like, yeah, I, I really like those. I mean, I had, I had Alec Pierce going to the, going to the Eagles in one of my mock drafts. I mean, but that's before, of course, we made the trade, right. uh, of right. all trades, you know, um, but I mean, my favorite landing spot, I think, was just the second pick of the draft. I mean, you got you got the hometown boy going to play for the hometown team, and just like he's gonna bite your kneecaps off, and uh, and that and that's what Dan Campbell wants, and it's and, it, and it's such a perfect fit, and you know he's got he's got that bend and 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 that ability to to turn the corner, and and obviously you know the motor. I think uh, I think he's just gonna have a, a really spectacular season, and and it's gonna be a, a great fit uh, there for now and for the future. Yeah, and um, for yeah, for me, um, is what the Bills did. I think in – I don't – did they have two third-round picks, right? With uh, Terrell Bernard and uh, James Cook. Um, I really love, you know, them getting James Cook. You know, uh, Devin Singletary, he's been their back for a couple years. But to me, he's not really – not in the mold of a, a lead back. And I think James Cook can be that. Um, also, you add in, you know, the element of Josh Allen, his running ability – um, throwing ability, you know, you look at James Cook, how he can run routes. Um, to me, I saw a little bit of uh, Alvin Kamara and him throughout the draft process when I watched him. Um, and then uh, Terrell Bernard, you know, 
I was reading an article earlier today. It said that uh, he modeled his game off of uh, one of their actual linebackers on the roster now, Matt Milano. So I feel like that's uh, that fits it's just going to mesh very well. Really good. Just to touch on a little bit what you said really there, uh, more so in the Vince James book. See, that's where things get really interesting because you think guys like Zach Moss and Devin Singletary will always find a home in that backfield strictly off script because you have questions about James Cook and his ability to run in between the tackles and just inside in general. Now, in terms of the outside runner and him as a pass catcher, I think him as a pass catcher opens up that offense tremendously. It allows them to do things that they didn't have in their repertoire before, and I think they, uh, I think Josh Allen would love that. But just to touch on a few of my favorite, I mean, of course, it's so simple to to get to the wide receivers. Of course, you get to touch on Christian Watson becoming a Green Bay Packer. I mean, a guy that I'm about to touch on in a second, Scott Moore, you would think that they would have looked his way. But then when I sat and I thought about it for a second, you think back to the Marquez Valdez, Scantless, and just even before Marquez, some of the other receivers that Green Bay has taken a liking into in the past, they seem to be more of the, the big body mode, which leans into it inside of the way of Christian Watson sitting at was six four, one four three. So he did, he offers what they lost in terms of Marquez and the deep threat abilities as well as what they don't have now with the loss of Devontae Adams. So then of course, like I said, with Scott Moore landing in Kansas City, of course, you do, it's easy to talk about the loss of Tyreek Hill and what that mean to the offense and how Scott Moore and his yards after the catch ability and what he can do with the ball in space, what that offense can do for him, it's it's almost like a match made in heaven. But if I had to give you my favorite, honestly, it's simple, really simple. It's David Ajabo landed in Baltimore, yeah. obviously landed with his former defensive coordinator. I, I, I got a piece that's going to come out on this soon, but just he couldn't ask. He, despite no prospect wants to go through the, the draft slide, and it sucks that the injury that he has had, but if he, it was a perfect landing spot for him, Baltimore was the place, man. Just landing mm-hmm. with his defense, his former defensive coordinator from Michigan, Mac McDonald, him having the opportunity to play in the same room as the guy that actually was a big part of him playing football, like and, and a big part of influence in. Um, Odu Fe, so just awesome for his awesome landing spot for him. I actually, I actually had one more. I wanted to piggyback off yours, uh, Pierre. I mean, I think, I think the Bills had you know a, a great draft, and I, I think uh, one of my other favorite picks was was their first round pick with with Kair. Um, I mean, you saw the interviews, I'm sure, of you know yeah. them seeing his notes and everything, and. You know, it's a copycat league, and you don't want to get beat on the same thing twice. You know, and that's the most important thing. And to, you know, them for them to see his thought process and all that, and then you know he got drafted, and he told coach put the playbook on the on the plane. Uh, you know, if he brings that work ethic and figures things out, him and Tre'Davious White, and then Jordan Poyer, and uh, I'm forgetting somebody. Michael Hyde. Michael Hyde. Yeah. Hyde, yeah. I mean, that's a that's a formidable secondary, and then you're adding Jordan. Uh, George, uh, James Cook, I'm sorry, on, on onto the offense and uh, some some receivers as well. I mean, Bills are looking uh, pretty nasty. Yeah, I mean, the Bills had an absolutely great draft. I mean, you know, as far as teams that sort of won the draft, I mean, I think Baltimore, you know, to get Kyle Hamilton, to get, you know, Lindebaum the way they did, to get Ajabo, like well just pointed out, I mean, those were three fantastic picks. I mean, the two New York teams, obviously – 
when you have two picks in the top 10 and when you're the Jets, you trade back into the first for a third pick in the first round. Like, it's hard to get that wrong, but I think both teams sort of did pretty well there. I also kind of like, honestly, what, what Green Bay did. You know, we were all sort of saying, you know, I know everybody did a mock draft and you have those two picks at 22 and 28. You know, you're giving them a wide receiver, but they add up, you know, the two Georgia defenders between Quay and, and Devontae Wyatt, who I think is a perfect fit for them, especially Wyatt. You know, now you get a chance to free up Kenny Clark a little bit because it used to be you just double Kenny and you don't have to worry about anything else up front. Now you've got Devontae Wyatt to deal with. And then, you know, we just talked about Watson. I think that's a perfect fit. So I really like kind of what Green Bay did as well. And I, I don't want to get ahead of myself, but there are certainly two teams that I have in mind that like kind of wondered what they did during draft week. And unfortunately, one of them is a team I like a lot. So, Okay. So a, I think that's a that's a, a good segue into our, ne- our actual next topic, uh, winners and losers of the draft. You know, you just outlined um, the Jets and the um, Ravens. Um, for me, I'm going to go in a different direction. The Houston Texans, I really love what they were able to do because, you know, they needed talent really pretty much everywhere. Um, I really feel like they were able to restock their cupboard. Um, I kind of – I really, like, loved every pick. Uh, yeah. the Derek Stingley, John Mechie, Kenyon Green, um, Damian Pierce. You know, I really love what they were able to do. Honestly, I, like I said, I got, I, I got some stuff for you guys coming out real soon. But just in general, the the AFC North, I'm a fan of what all of you guys were able to do. All of them. I mean, of course, Mark had a chance to speak on Baltimore. You guys know how I feel about the Baltimore draft. I feel like it should be an A+. The only reason it's not an A+, because I am not an advocate for selecting special teams players with any of your selections. Please do not do that and waste your time. But even in the same breath of saying that, I mean, Baltimore is a team that always gets their hands on great value picks at great times. And even when we discussed Jordan Stout, a player who I think they said 83% or 80, yeah, it was 85% of his punts landed inside the 20. Yeah. 53% of it landed inside the 10. And you look at a team like Baltimore who really wants to play the field position game, even with the selection of all the tight ends, clearly the departure of Marquise Brown kind of makes the wide receiver run hurt. So you can tell that it's going to be a whole lot of running the ball and a whole lot of attacking the middle of the field. So you're going to really have to play the field position game. So even me not liking the selection of special teams players, it made sense what Baltimore was doing there. Then you get into a team like Cincinnati. Everybody mocked Cincinnati to draft a whole bunch of offensive linemen, which, I mean, that was their Achilles heel on the season. Luckily for them, free agency becomes before the draft, so they had the chance to fill a lot of those holes long before free agency which gives them the opportunity to fix their next Achilles here, which is their secondary. I mean, I'm an Ohio State fan. You guys know I love all my Ohio State guys, but if you got Eli Apple as your cornerback too, you got some problems. So, <laughs> it was great to see them picking up Cam Britt Taylor, them pick up Dax Hill, especially them two in particular, and then Tyson Anderson later on in the draft, where you got a bunch of guys who you can literally rotate around in the secondary. No one, I feel like, again, positionless football is my thing. That's the future of football, and you can literally put any of those guys in any position in those secondaries. It gives them a lot of versatility here in the backfield. Then Cleveland, I mean, for you to be able to get Perry on Winfrey in the fourth round, what do you start there? That's just ridiculous. Like, that, I personally had him as a second-round grade. Yeah. So for them to get him that late, it, it's just almost like a super steal. Then to get a guy like, Jerome Ford, who, of course, you already got Kareem Hunt and 
Nick Chubb in the backfield, but with Kareem Hunt coming up on a contract year, Nick Chubb having questions in terms of being able to stay healthy, always good to get really good football players. And then lastly, Pittsburgh. <laughs> I feel like this is just like every time there's a wide receiver in any class, that time that Pittsburgh kind of needs a receiver because when does Pittsburgh actually ever need a receiver the way they developed them? But um, every time there's a receiver worth getting, they always get his hands on him. And I just could, I, I thought the whole process, what could I think of as a perfect landing spot for George Pickens? And then you could put him in Pittsburgh. It's like, oh man, it's like a star waiting to happen. They always. I, I like, oh, sorry, Parth, but I just want to jump in on Pittsburgh because to get to Marvin where they did, I mean, to Marvin, like going into the year, we're just like, yeah, he's a tweener, but he's probably a first round pick. You know, right. to get him at 84 overall. You know, when they do a lot of their big stuff with a three-man front, like, I think that's a perfect spot for him. So, I really like that pick, too. I mean, yeah, you're right. The AFC North, I think, top to bottom, they, they all did really well. I think uh, one one huge loser, uh, you know, from, from the draft was just Justin Fields. I mean, yeah, just, they needed to just get him a little bit of talent <clears throat> around the guy. And, I mean, they got Avilas Jones, right? But, I mean, he's 25. He's he's a twenty five year old rookie. He's twenty five uh, year old rookie with questions about everything except being able to produce in space. That is not yeah. a number one receiver. Yeah, exactly. It's just it, it's just really tough to see. And then you know, and then it was like, okay, uh, if you're not gonna take uh, t- take uh, a receiver, get some tackles. You know, protect Justin. And then they just kind of took some swings in like the sixth and, and seventh round. I mean, you know, it's nice that they were able to pick up two starters in the secondary. Their their day two defensively was was impressive, and it and it has you know this new regime's handprints all over it, right? I mean, it's it's a Burf Lewis, and they're picking up Z backs on uh, with their with their first couple picks. So maybe they're trying to establish a culture, but still, you you got you got to help out your what was he the uh, the twelfth or something pick last year. Yeah, 12. Yeah, you know, your first-round pick from last year, you just drafted a quarterback, help him out. You know, there's some options in free agency, but still, you know. Especially when, you know, they drafted a Gordon at 39, and I liked Gordon. I think he's a very nice corner. Like you said, Parth, he's a day-one starter. But, like, you passed on Wandale Roberts, who maybe went a little early at 43, but obviously the Giants have a Tony issue. Mechie went at 44. Tyquan Thornton at 50, Pickens at 52, Pierce at 53, Skymore at 54. Like, you passed on a bunch of receivers that could, I think, for all of those teams, are going to step in and start. They certainly would have started in Chicago. That seems like a little much. Like, Gordon's a great player, and that, that's fantastic. You know, but then again, they, they drafted Brisker at 48. You know, when Thornton, Pickens, yeah. Pierce, Moore were all available. And so, if any one of those guys hits, Bears fans are going to be livid watching – Fields just throw to Dante Pettis and I guess Tajay Sharp next year. But on that topic, you know, you have to remember uh, this is a new regime. They didn't draft him, you know. Yeah, I mean, are we starting to wonder how they feel about Fields? That's crazy. I mean, yes, one year, man. Like, I mean, so regardless of how you, sorry, Quill, just I just wanted to say, like, regardless of how you feel, you have him under contract for yeah. Three more years yeah. as a rookie, you know. At the same time, it, it again conversations like like this get real hit or miss and real funny because you we all know how we feel about Justin Fields. We think he's a talented guy. At the same breath, I mean, you're talking about a, a literal new regime. 
this ain't the same Ryan and Matt that was in there last season. They're completely yep. new guys. So they're not really tied to him by any means. And, I mean, especially when you're talking about a first-year coach and Matt Eberflus who kind of wants to set the tone. In order to do that, he has to take a bunch of guys defensively because he's a defensive coach. So, I mean, it sucks that Justin Fields got left looking on the outside looking there. And this might, I don't want to say it does or doesn't, it might have something to say about how they feel about him. At the same time, I just basically how I look at the market as a complete whole. You're looking at a team with a quarterback heading into a second year. You probably you got a fifth year option on them. You probably work with the franchise tag after that if you couldn't get a deal done. They got a guy who they can keep in the building for a while, so they're not really pressed to surround him with everything. And um, for me, my biggest loser of the draft was uh, Ryan Tannehill. You know, he lost his favorite receiver. Um, you know, and the Titans they're trying to replace him. Um, and to me, uh, and I mean, you know, you guys know how I feel about Ryan Tannehill. I don't, me personally, I don't view him as uh, the type of quarterback who can elevate your team. He can keep things afloat and keep the keep the ship steady, but he's not. He's not gonna. You know, I you you Mark, you told me this. You said that there are quarterbacks that you can. Can't remember. You said there. What did? What was the way you phrased it? There are guys you can win games with, and there are guys you win yeah. games because of. Yeah. And yeah. and I think Tannehill is that guy you win games with, right? You look at that yeah. offense, like they run it through Derrick Henry, like they run it through the running game and play action, like they're not leaning on Ryan Tannehill, and they have an out after this season with his contract. Yeah. And so, you know, I, I think you're exactly right, Pierre. Like drafting Malik Willis right now was a, a is brilliant. You know, because you get a year with Tannehill, he can be a bridge. And if you feel comfortable this time next year that, like, Willis is your guy, Ryan Tannehill is on his way out the door. I, I think you're right. Like, in that sense, like, Tannehill, yeah, he kind of lost this draft. And certainly with what he said in the wake of that pick, it seems yep. like he knows it too. Yes, yeah. that is not ideal for yeah. a starter to be saying. that. It's, it, even like Richard Sherman said in the podcast, like, that's just – that's not what you do, man. You can you lose the locker room saying things like that. Exactly. But if you I just had to give a loser, I'll oh, go ahead, Parker. Yeah, no, you, I, you just sound scared. scared. Scared of the competition. Definitely. Like yep. I mean, you have, you have a rookie quarterback coming in in the third round, and you're like, I'm not gonna, I'm not like I just, I just, I hate when players say that. Like, it's a that team sport, man. This like, is literally the same thing I seen. I think it's um. John Clark, you know, me living in the D.C. area, got to kick over to all my guys down here. But, no, nah, not John Clark. I'm sorry. Um, oh, man. Redskins reporter. His John Kimes? Is... Yes, John Kimes. I'm sorry. Thank okay. you. John Kimes, who actually said something similar along the lines with, because, you know, us as Eagles fans made the running joke when the, the commander selected Sam Howell that if – Carson Wentz is shaking in his boots at a third round selection, and Carson Wentz deserves to lose his job because you. What is this? Is a third round pick? This literally take us and swing at something that's there. So same can be said for Ryan Tannehill. It's not like they picked a the guy in the first who you like your days are numbered. This is somebody who, literally, project. If it works, great. If it don't, we got some room to spare in the back end. And for you to sit here and say something like that clearly shows how you feel the pressure. Yeah. But. If I had to give myself a loser, and it it it's weird because it wouldn't I wouldn't even say they're a loser in terms of the prospect.
like I said, they, they selected because I like a bunch of the prospects they selected. But the Arizona Cardinals are clearly a loser in this draft. I mean, first of all, to give up a first round, how I like to look at it is you can tell a lot of their first move, like between the first round and the second round, a lot of their moves were centered around the fact that they knew that the, the DeAndre Hopkins suspension was looming. Obviously, the NFL wasn't going to break that news before the draft because you don't want to steal any thunder away from that moment. But they, they figured it was looming, and they had to make moves to conquer it. So for, to watch anybody spend a first-round pick on Marquise Brown is kind of, like, <laughs> absurd. Yeah. I mean, I like Marquise. Marquise is fun to watch. At the same time, he did not offer first-round value to that Baltimore team at all. You, and they didn't even spend a first-round pick on him. So for them to get one back was like kind of like a steal. So they, you can see the Cardinals were pretty desperate. I mean, if you know all the news that's going on with Kyler Murray this offseason, kind of wanted to get him his guy, settle him in a little bit. But just not ideal. And even with the selection of Trey McBride, again, another player that I love, man. I love Trey McBride. But I tried to advocate for him earlier in the draft process. Like, we actually did a live stream for the draft, and a, a lot of the guys was – pretty stumped on the selection because you got Zach Ertz. You got Max Williams. What are you doing? And my whole thing is again, not knowing that the lumen of DeAndre the, the suspension of DeAndre Hopkins is looming, but they led the league in five wide receivers that uh how often they ran in empty personnel. So I mean you gotta have valuable pass catches and I mean of course us Eagles guys, we love us and Zach Ertz, but let's be real. We call them no yak Zach for a reason. You need some guys who can catch the ball and do something with it in space. And that Trey McBride offers a lot of that. So, uh, again, the, the selections make sense. At the same time, you could tell they were reaching because they knew what was coming. And they want they, the pressure. You could tell the pressure is heating up in Arizona, whether it's head coach or quarterback or general manager. A lot of them are feeling the pressure. I feel like it's only fair since we're talking losers here to bring up the New England Patriots. Um, obviously, a team near and dear to my heart. Um, I, I like all of the players they drafted. They just all felt like 40 picks too soon. Like Cole Strange, like he's a good interior offensive lineman, but you probably could have had him when you were on the clock at 54. Um, Tyquan Thornton, like he's a nice receiver. You probably could have had him in the next round. I mean, all of their picks felt like it was probably a round early. Now, look, Bill Belichick, he does his own thing. But it just felt like, I mean, as far as quintessential Bill Belichick Patriots drafts go, this was like the piece they resistance. Like, this was like Belichick just being like, yep, we do our own thing here, and that's how we're going to so do I was it. Just, and, actually, I was just to touch on that a little bit. I was just about to ask you. I know you're a little plugged in with a lot of plugged in with the Patriots. I mean, if you guys don't know, go to them in the past food pit. But – I mean, so Nick Castillo is out of the building now, and he took a lot of people with him. How much of a factor do you think that played in Bill Belichick actually, like, having the keys and was like, oh, I could do me now, instead of having yeah, someone I mean, there that's it, like... It's a great question because there certainly has been sort of a brain drain in New England. Like, a lot of people, like Ziegler, like McDaniels, like Casario, like... A lot of people that have been an integral part of this organization for the past 5, 10, 12 years are out of the building. You know, Dante Skarnecki, their offensive line coach, like he sometimes advises them. Ernie Adams, he's retired. Like a lot of the brain trust is either retired or moved on. And yes, they brought in Matt Patricia. And yes, they brought in, you know, they brought Joe Judge over. There are a lot of people wondering, 
Like, does Bill have people to tell him no right now? Does Bill have people that will tell him, like, look, you know, you like Cole Strange. That's great. He's going to be there at 54. He'll be there at 48 if we want to trade up. That's sort of the feeling right now is that Belichick doesn't have people that are really telling him no. If there's truth to that or not, I don't know. But that's, well, that's the feeling right now around this team is that, like, Belichick is firmly in charge. He has a lot of yes men around him, people that are just sort of, like, going along with what he wants to do. If that's true or not, I don't know, but it certainly feels that way after this draft. Yeah, all I can think about specifically is the shadow of Sean McVay and Les Snead when they were talking about their picks, yeah. and they saw that Cole Strange went, and they was like, well, we wasted our time. We thought we, we thought we'd be at one four. Like, that's all they said. And they tried to brush it off. They were like, oh, you know, we, we really liked him. And, you know, we were saying that, like, you know, he wasn't going to be there at 104 or whatever. No. I mean, first of all, they seemed a little bit, shall we say, happy at the time because they weren't on the clock that night. So I think they were pretty relaxed uh, with what they were doing before they got on camera. So that was the true reaction you got from them. They had mm-hmm. they firmly did not think he was going to come off the board in the first round. They thought he'd be there at, like, you know, 90 or 104 you know, when they were on the clock. So, yeah, that tells you what the rest of the league thought of this kid. He's a great player, you know. And then, look, Tyquan Thornton, they trade up out of 54 to go get him at 50. And I just listed some of the receivers that were drafted after that. George Pickens, Alec Pierce, Sky Moore. Like, if one or two or even all three of those guys hit, it's going to be, you know, Nikhil Harry over DK Metcalf 2.0. I must say, I'm glad you didn't say anything. And before either of you guys talk, if you guys are going to say anything wrong, this is a No Bailey Zappy Slander podcast. We no, love I, I like Bailey Zappy. I get – of all the picks they made, that was the one that was like, yeah, that makes sense. Like, they were going to move on from Stidham. We all knew that. He's an upgrade, I think, over Stidham at the bare minimum. You need two good quarterbacks in this league. We know that. So, I'm a, I was that was the one pick that I actually felt really comfortable defending right when it happened. Like, I literally – popped on the keys and started writing for that one because I was like, yeah, I get this one. I can't defend the others, but I can at least defend this one. <laughs> Absolutely. So, I mean, so that, that's, a, that's a good idea of, of you know, the, the landscape for the rest of the league. But what are your thoughts on the Eagles draft? You know, obviously a lot of, you know, news breaking stuff and, 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 and a lot of excited, uh, excited moments uh, throughout the weekend. What were your thoughts uh, uh, throughout it, Mark? You can take A.J. Brown, put him aside, and not even include him in their draft conversation, and this was an A-plus draft. Like, mm-hmm. you don't even need A.J. Brown to get there. I mean, Jordan Davis was one of my favorite players in this entire draft cycle. And if you are going to live conceptually as a defense in this too-high world, you need guys up front that can steal that extra gap. You need guys that can two-gap. You need guys that can make it so your safety doesn't have to scream downhill and fill in the A-gap on the backside of inside zone because you've got an interior defensive mm. lineman or nose tackle that can handle both A-gaps. That's Jordan Davis. Like, and everything that he did at Georgia on first and second down got them into third and lawns. They took him off the field, so yes. they didn't need him to rush the passer. But when yeah, he got a chance to run a pass, he was pretty good at it. And I think there's untapped potential there as a pass rusher. So that's a home run pick. Cam Jurgens, I thought, was a home run pick as well. We all knew at some point they're going to address interior offensive line. Kelsey, you know, is older, might retire at some point. He could step in at guard, maybe slide to center at some point. I thought that was a fantastic pick. To get Kobe Dean in the third round is just a steal. Like, one of the <laughs> smartest players I talked to 
Got a chance to talk to him for a cowboy show that I do. He taught me run fits. He taught me NFTs. He taught me crypto. Like literally one of the smartest guys I had a chance to talk to this entire draft cycle. Like him, Alex, Pierce, Trey McBride were my three favorites I got to talk to. But Nicobe G is fantastic to get him third is a steal. Don't sleep on their UDFA class. I've had people not in the league, but like outside at the college ranks, on uh, other levels of football. And they have told me this UDFA class might have been better than some teams' draft classes. Yes. And Carson Talk Strong, about it. Yes. Talk Carson about Strong, it. First round talent. He could be your 2023 hedge on Jalen Hurts. You know, you have the two future first rounders, okay? Mm-hmm. We all hope Hurts gets to where he needs to be. We're all praying for that. I think it'd be fantastic. I think he will get there. But if not, you got Strong for a medical redshirt year, a guy with a first round arm. And if you can get him close to as healthy as he can be, if that knee, you know, gets to where it can be, there there could be your first round quarterback in next year's draft. You don't even have to use first rounders on a quarterback because you've got Carson Strong. Kennedy Brooks, my buddy Matt Waldman, who does a really good job studying skill players, particularly running backs, called him the smartest running back in this entire draft class with the way he sets himself up to evade contact, with the way he sits himself down into cuts, getting through breaks, vision, getting skinny through holes. Like he could be, he basically said, like, this could be your Jordan Howard 2.0 type of player. And you've got him as an undrafted free agent. No, he's serious. He is really serious. Like, you got, again, like I said earlier, you guys know how I feel about my buck ass. I love my buck ass. And you guys know how, well, at least we thought we knew heading into the season, how how Kyle Shanahan felt about Trey Sermon. We thought that was a steal of a selection last year for them to get Trey Sermon. Trey Sermon transferred to Ohio State because he could not steal carries from Kennedy Brooks. Yep. Kennedy Brooks is really good. Yeah, I mean, so so top to bottom – even without A.J. Brown, this was a home run draft. And then you add in A.J. Brown. Like, I don't see how you could sit in here right now on May, Friday the 13th in May, say that Howie Brown did, Howie Roseman, excuse me, did anything wrong. This was a fantastic, fantastic, fantastic draft. Like, you know, you could even get into, you know, Kyron Johnson, the Kansas linebacker. I mean, I think that's a nice little addition. Even the tight end from SMU, nice little addition there in the later round. But with what they did at the top and this undrafted free agent class, Fantastic. So, so to your point, yes, two, of, two of the guys that you didn't bring up as part of the undrafted free agent class, Josh Joe and Mario Goodrich. What did you think about them? Because I've seen Josh Joe, like, and even from, you know, watching him during his junior year, um, I thought he was going to go in the fourth or fifth round, actually. But Yeah, I thought so, too. Reason, I was yeah, I was really surprised, guys, that he did not get drafted. I thought, if nothing else, you're talking about a guy that spent his college career playing for Nick Saban. Like, mm-hmm. you play for Saban, you play for Kirby Smart, you know, you play for Venables. That's as close mm-hmm. as you can get to running an NFL defense. You know, but that's as close as you can get. And, and so you, you're talking about somebody that's going to be able to step right into what Jonathan Gannon's doing and be like, yeah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. Like, yeah, that's what we called cut. That's what we called Mabel. Like, I, I get it. Like, so I think that's a fantastic addition. I had people tell me that Dunkel was one of their favorite offensive linemen in this class. Yeah. And to get him as an undrafted player, I thought was fantastic. Like, again, I, I think this was just a top to bottom, a really good group. Who are the other guys? Yeah, Goodrich was a nice corner. Blankenship, I remember when Blankenship was getting first round buzz, like two summers ago. There were people mm-hmm. who thought, like, yes. yeah, this kid's coming off the board in the first round. Another guy that they got undrafted. I mean, 
It's a really good group. So, I mean, again, like Pierre said, my bad, boss. So, like Pierre said, a, a guy that you didn't bring up, but you kind of got a lot to hear about. I mean, you didn't you you spent a lot saying about how two how important two gapping is and how important Jordan Davis will be to the Eagles. Hell, every time when you was talking, all I could think about was that's the big difference between Brandon Staley's defense right now. One yeah. year he had Aaron Donald, the next year he don't. So yeah, and, and that's why, like, I really thought that if Davis somehow got to 17, like, Staley, forget drafting an offensive lineman. Like, that's the guy that they wanted. But, you know, once David, I mean, yeah, once Jordan Davis ran that 40, forget it. Like, th- there was no way, there was no way he was getting to 17. And I love the fact that everybody thought that, oh, Baltimore is going to draft him at 14. And I said, no, this is the guy we need for our defense. We're going to go get him. And they move up to go get him. I mean, Jordan Davis, like I said, one of my favorite players in this draft class. And to, to add him the way they did, he's going to be such a huge part of their defense for the next 10 years. Yeah, and to me, the big thing with Jordan Davis is other than what he brings is what he can do for everyone around him. Yeah. You know, you look at you look at Nicobe Dean, you know, all those Georgia linebackers, they were kept clean because of him. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's just it. Like a lot of people said, Oh, well, I don't know how we can evaluate Nicobe Dean. Like, can he really stack and shed? Like he was kept clean so much behind Wyatt and Davis. Well, now he's behind Davis again. Like, that's a perfect situation for Nicobe Dean. Also, to your guys' point about, you know, this this undrafted uh, free agent class, I mean, Mark, you mentioned that some people said that it's better than other <clears throat> other people's draft classes. I mean, all of us have our favorites. I, mean, I know Quell loves Noah Ellis. Uh, I mean, I was a big Josh Job fan. I think with, with Job, I think he fell, you know, because of, uh, of the foot injury and, you know, just not playing as well this year. But also, I just think because of COVID and the extra year, there was just such an influx mm-hmm. of talent after yeah. guys took the extra year that like there, there were Play just too many players, too you know, and not way enough, not enough, not enough uh, draft picks, but, but kudos to Howie and, and, and everybody for getting out those contracts. I mean, Carson Strong got one of the highest uh, contracts for an undrafted free agent ever. I mean, we paid Goodrich maybe one of the highest for, for this class just to get him over here. Um, you know, they, they really did their research on it. And I think, like you mentioned, we got a lot of great value in these in these uh, undrafted uh, free agents. And it's going to be fun to watch them in camp because usually you're like, oh, n- not many of these guys are going to make the, the roster. But a lot of these guys have, have a real, real chance of, of making it. So it's going to oh, be absolutely. interesting roster battles this summer. Definitely. And um, doubling, doubling back to your point about Carson Strong, um, for me and the piece that I just wrote um, – I I think I uh, characterized him as one of, or one of, if not the most talented arms in the class. Um, could you talk a little bit more about him? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. Like, if this were say five years ago, maybe ten years ago, he's QB one. Like, th- there's no question about it because of the arm talent. Um, I, I think with the way the game is sort of trended towards mobility at the quarterback position, athleticism at the quarterback position. That coupled with the knee injuries, why he sort of slid down boards a little bit. But in terms of simply throwing the football, he might be the best pure passer with the best arm talent in this entire group. And I think that, you know, the knee injury allowed people to sort of glide past what he does in the pocket. And I think if you watch him, he moves well in the pocket. And we're talking about somebody that was told by his doctors, was told by his dad not to play last year. 
like he he told us at the combine he looked us in the eyes and said you know my dad told me not to play my, my doctor told me not to play but i wanted to play one more season with my teammates like romeo dubs like you know he got me to where i am right now like i want just us to, to play one more season just to add some context to what you were saying and um this came from what's that the boule football podcast over there with Brett Coleman and uh EJ Wright. But I mean, Carson Strong, we doctors literally told him about this knee injury, I think two years ago. Yeah. And he, he got he got it laid out to him basically where you you shouldn't play football. If you, you can play football again, if you take this surgery right now, you'll be healthy enough to play football and should have a long, continuous NFL career from here. Or even if you went back to school with the extra year, long continuous career. He said, I can't miss out on being out there with my guys. I got to yep. play with my guys. So it says a whole lot about his character, says a whole lot about his leadership. Mm-hmm. Just the fact that he, like, he was, from what I heard, he was literally basically moving on one knee this year. Yep. He was just playing and, football on one knee. Like, there were some practices where he couldn't practice. He sat on a golf cart because he, he couldn't move. And he also told us that, like, look, you know, I'm working with Jordan Palmer now. I was compensating for that knee the entire year. Like, and so those throws that I was making that had everybody thinking, man, this guy's got incredible arm talent. It was all upper body. Like he had nothing in the lower body. Like he didn't have the ability to drive off his right leg, his plant leg to drive through throws. And he's still ripping it. Like he had some throws against Kansas state. Matt Wall and I did a video on him. He had one on like a third down where he had to slide to his left fit it through like six, three defenders and the referee on a dig route on a third and lawn. And he somehow fit it in there with absolute perfect placement and velocity. Like there weren't a lot of guys trying that throw in this class, let alone hitting it on. And he's doing it on one leg. Like, and the other thing that I think is really going to help him. He had complete freedom at the line of scrimmage. Like he had complete freedom to walk to the line of scrimmage and, Oh, they're in a blitz. Look, I can check out of it. Oh, they're going to play deep. I'll check into a run. Oh, they're going to do this. I could check to anything I wanted to at any time, any down and distance, complete freedom at the line of scrimmage. Most kids don't have that. And he did because his coaches trusted him. And so when these rumblings came out that like, oh, he didn't know protections or he didn't know schemes and things like that. I'm just sitting there like, what? Coaches aren't going to trust a kid that doesn't know that stuff with complete freedom at the line of scrimmage. And so he was my, he was my QB five. Like I had him over Sam Howell. I, I thought he was somebody that like should have gone on day one or day two. Um, to get him as a UDFA is just absurd. Absurd. Absurd to get him as a UDFA. Again, I think I personally had him as QB, probably QB5 as well. I know it was Malik, Desmond, Kenny. It might have been Carson right after that. He might have been QB4. Yeah. yeah. But just a little into the, the back into the defensive line, for, like you were saying, and the impact of the two gapping. You say how you you touched on how important the acquisition of Jarrell Davis is, and it kind of led me to two separate questions. One, and I mean, of course, there are rumors that came out after the draft that Baltimore didn't want Jordan Davis, but clearly, how we heard something, and he got in front of them for that, and you can kind of tell that you had an eye on Jordan Davis from the selection of Travis Jones. 
So, what's your thought of, thought process on the selection of Travis Jones and the value they got there? And did Baltimore really want Jordan Davis? I, I think they did. I mean, you know, you watch Travis Jones, and it's like, okay, well, if you can't get Jordan Davis, like, you'll get this guy in the second, you'll get this guy in the third. And you'll feel like, all right, well, we got a decent enough guy that has that sort of two-gap potential. There are a couple of players in this draft cast that I thought had that ability. Certainly, Davis was the best among them. I think Jordan, you know, uh, Travis Jones was pretty good. I think John Ridgway was pretty good with some two-gap potential as well. Guys can be your true zero-one technique kind of guy in the middle of some odd fronts. And the fact that, look, everybody sort of started linking Jordan Davis to the Ravens at 14 once he had that great combine. And, you know, whether Baltimore was going to do that or not, I still think they would have. I think, you know, Jordan Davis is a quintessential Baltimore type pick. Now, maybe if it came down to a pick between Hamilton and Davis, maybe they would have said, look, Hamilton's the unicorn safety of this class. Like, we'll draft him and we'll pass on Davis because we can get Jones a little bit later. No. You didn't, you didn't no, have the chance. Please, no. So, please, you know, they no. go up and they get Davis. Please no, please no, please no, because you better start something. Please, no. <laughs> right as I come back, too. Right there as was, I come back. There was oh, the there universe was. is so <laughs> sometimes. So of course you didn't have this happen. You, I'm pretty sure you were busy with your own thing on draft night, but we had a chance to stream on draft night, and me and Parth had this massive argument, basically about positional value, <laughs> and it's you, you can't. You you have to take it because I mean of course as you know Mark you retweeted it and uh, I had a second one that come out the day of draft day but I released my big board and Kyle Hamilton was the number one player on my big board and that I stayed true to that until the end of the sequence in the same breath I would not have been happy if that team took Kyle Hamilton over Jordan Davis because that is just terrible positional value like you safe how safeties get paid and how how def interior defensive linemen get paid are two massively different gaps. Yeah. And you want to get the one that's going to impact the floor every single play than the one who has to be schemed to impact the game. Yeah, I mean, that yeah, was the thing with Hamilton wrong. was if you draft Hamilton in the top 10, he's instantly, I think, the third or fourth highest paid safety in the game. Like, mm -hmm. it, it's just different. And, you know, I think with respect to specifically Philadelphia, like, you need that guy up front that can give you that two gap stuff if you want to stay in that too high world. And, you know, yes, you know, having a, a versatile safety is nice, especially in the too high world, especially if you're going to, you know, mix some coverages up. But I think Davis was the better fit. And so I'm glad that Philly, from Philly's perspective, went out to get Davis as opposed to Hamilton. I still, I love Hamilton. And he was <laughs> I mean, yeah, he's great. He's great. He's absolutely a great player. Don't get me wrong. I mean, I think it touched on why he was our top overall player too. Like, no, yeah, I mean, I, I totally get it. It it makes sense in the terms of of financially. My point was that you know I, I feel like Hargrave will be back next year. We had Milton yeah. Williams. Jordan Davis is obviously totally a different level than Milton Williams. I'm not trying to make that comparison, but you know we have Marcus Epps and and Anthony Harris back at safety right now, and I mean they've been really pushing the uh, the Epps agenda. I mean, really, really pushing it every chance possible. So I'm, I'm excited to see. I'm excited to see. I mean, I, I'll give him a chance. I'll give him a chance. But uh, but but I, I just really loved Hamilton. But but I it's get not the idea. It's fine. You know, yeah, I know. But we'll, we'll see what we can do. I mean, I, I don't know. Who are the free agent safety options at this point? It's gotten pretty bare, Jay, right? 
Jaquiski Tart is still Tart, available. That's, that's it? the that's only one I know off the top guy. of my head. Yeah. Well, we'll see what happens. Also, the season. And, a little bit. I mean, sorry. Uh, I just want to say these these two corners, Goodrich and uh, and Joe, both have, you know, bodies a that might hold well better to be better to be in a in a safety position instead of corners. So, who knows? Who knows how this offseason is going to go? Leave Marcus Epps alone. <laughs> I'm not trying to hate. That. I'm not. I promise. Also, a little bit of breaking news: the Saints just signed Jarvis Landry. Mm. Dude, I, I thought he'd be great in, in Baltimore. You know, they didn't they didn't take a receiver, yeah. just bring yeah. in a veteran. And he's like the perfect Baltimore type guy. I mean, he's hard nosed. Like, get yourself a Steve Smith, uh, a senior light version. You know. Yeah. <laughs> but, and uh, they uh, Brian uh, Andrews, no, what's his name? Edwards just got traded to the to the Falcons. Uh, Falcons. Yep. From the yeah. Raiders. Whoa! Thank you. Some talent in the wide receiver room that named Drake Hunt. Thank yeah, mm-hmm. that 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 group's really thin too. So yeah, I'm, yeah. Uh, yeah. Anyway, so I mean, we've talked about Nakobe and you know Jordan in, in this draft, but now let's talk about the trade. We we talked about a little bit about how you can insert AJ Brown into any offense. I mean, I I love watching receivers. That's that's my favorite position to watch. And AJ Brown has been my favorite receiver in the league for, for four years. I mean, he's just so big and fast. Like it's just, like he shouldn't you shouldn't be sixty pounds heavier than Devontae Smith and be you know running, you know, right with him. It's crazy. And this man just has crazy agility and whatever you want at, at every point of you know the game that you want in a receiver. I mean, he, he kind of struggled with releases coming in. He's gotten better with releases the top of his routes are great he can box guys out but he's not just a box out guy like he's he's like the prototypical number one receiver what X does receiver. he do for this offense yeah x receiver like what what does yeah. he what does he do for us he does a couple of things i mean he is he steps into that x receiver role but he's not just a guy that's going to give you seven eight nine routes you know he can work over the middle without fear he's good after the catch um, like you said, he can win the box out game, the back shoulder game, but that's not the only way he wins as a receiver. He's not like an, an Akeel Harry type that can only do back shoulder throws and win contested catches. He can separate. And like you said, Barth, he's gotten better at release his release package. He's gotten better on his routes. And it also allows Devonta Smith to now be the Z. It allows you to put Quez at the, at, at the slot. Like it gives you that ideal 11 personnel package where you know that, like, you can move Smith around a little bit. Because let's be honest, like, Devontae, as great as he was as a rookie, there were times where he'd have to be, like, in that X role, he'd get pinned to the boundary a little bit. He'd struggle to get off of the jam. He, he'd struggle with his releases at times. Now you can move him around a little bit. You can get him some free or easier releases. You can get him into some stacks and in the slot times at, at times as well because you have A.J. Brown as your X and you know, like, look, doesn't matter who's lined across from him, press alignment, he's going to separate he's going to be able to get free against that alignment. And so the trickle-down effect of A.J. Brown's acquisition is huge because it then lets you let get these younger guys into more favorable situations, which can only help them as well. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, it's, it's awesome. Uh, go ahead, Pierre. Yeah, and one of the things I'm surprised you didn't mention was the connection with Jalen Hurts. That chemistry is already there. I was yeah. just about to say the same thing. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that that's that's why we're seeing a lot of teams add, oh, okay, well, you know, we, we have two as our quarterback. We're going to get Jalen Waddle. Like, we, we have Jalen Hurts. 
you know, we're going to get a guy that he's thrown with a little bit. Like you're, you're, you're seeing this trend to reunite receivers and quarterbacks, to put them back together, to have that built-in chemistry. And you've got it, you know, between Hertz and Brown, like two guys who really know each other. And so, you know, having that built-in chemistry, you know, it makes it that much easier when it's third and seven and you've got to run a route that's going to convert. Your guys are already on the same page in terms of what they're seeing from the secondary because they've worked on it. They have that feel for each other. They know where that person's going to be. I've got two books from Joe Montana within my arm's reach right now where he talks about having that built-in chemistry between him and Jerry Rice and John Taylor was huge. When it's third and seven, you know exactly how they're going to react to the secondary, how they're going to react to leverage, how they're going to break their route off. You don't have to wait. You don't have to see it come open. You don't have to see the break. You know how he's going to break. It just makes it that much better for quarterback and receiver. So. You know, you know us, Mark, man. You know, every time you come see us, we like to talk a whole lot of a, a whole lot of ball. Like, how does this work schematically? And there was this whole lot of ruckus, for lack of a better term, during the all the whole season that Jalen Hurts is a product of the scheme. Jalen Hurts is successful because the Eagles run the ball. You can't succeed with Jalen Hurts. Why can't you succeed with Jalen Hurts? Because if you're going to be a quarterback in this league and be successful, you got to throw the ball across the middle of the field. And Jalen Hurts did not throw the ball across the middle of the field. I think he literally ranked 32nd in the league in terms of passes across the middle of the field. So, what does I heard you say something about AJ Brown and what he brings in terms of value across the middle, not just nines and seven routes and all of those terms, and being the ability to move Devonta Smith to a role where kind of that he played in Alabama. Yeah, he may have been the number one receiver at Alabama, but was he used as a, in, in the X receiver role? Rarely. They like to try to get him in positions where he couldn't be pressed, so he can attack the center of the zones and all of that stuff. Basically, just let him get out in the open field. So, with him back in a position where he's most comfortable, and, of course, A.J. Brown here to attack the middle of the field, how do you see Jalen Hurts' development coming along this season? I mean, I, I think now, you know, when I was on with the guys pre-draft, when we, you know, we weren't quite sure where they were going to go with the picks that they had in the first round. It was still, like, yeah, more optimistic about where Jalen Hurts can be next year. I think that optimism, optimism gets cranked up to 10 now. I mean, you look at – you, you watch A.J. Brown during his time in Tennessee, you, get, you see a guy that's fearless over the middle. You see a guy that's willing to run digs, to run shallows, to run crossers. And he's physical and strong enough where, like, you can get on the ball and he can bounce off of a linebacker, let alone a safety, and give you 10 extra yards after the catch. That ability makes you more willing as a quarterback to throw over the middle. Like, when you know a guy's fearless over the middle, when you know that if your throw is slightly off target, he's not going to alligator arm it. He's going to go get it. He's going to absorb that hit. He's willing to do that. That makes you fearless throwing over the middle. And now when you talk about, okay, well, maybe he's not the guy running the dig. You've got Devonta Smith now in a stack getting a free release on a shallow cross or an over route. Now he's working against zone coverage or he's running away against man coverage because he got the benefit of that free release. You're, again, willing to throw that route because it's not going to be into contested coverage. He's going to have a step or two on that man coverage defender because of his free release, or he's working against zone. You just got to figure out the best hole to throw that and then make that throw. Again, the trickle down effect of the Brown trade isn't just for the receivers. It's for the quarterback too, you know, because now he's got 
more confidence to attack areas of the field that you're right. He wasn't, that was not a strength at all. Like throwing, you know, between the hash marks from zero to 10, zero to 15 was not a strength. Like everything was the boundaries and over the top. Now you can do that. And when you can do that as an offense, when you can tell that defense early in the game, first drive, second drive, like, yeah, we're going to attack between the numbers. We're going to attack between the hash marks. Now you've got to worry about things. Now maybe you bring that safety down. No, you bring that safety down underneath. You do robbers. You do, you know, some cut coverages to take away the middle of the field. Now you're getting single coverage on the boundary. So now you have a situation where maybe a, a, a safety is jumping or nailing down on that over route from Devonta Smith, and you've got A.J. Brown singled up on the outside on a go route. So in Beautiful. terms of how everything of that just worked out, how the, the only thing I could think of everything, every time he's speaking in this aspect was, well, it sounds like Dallas Goddard will be a top five tight end in the NFL this season because what the hell are you going to do with him if you got to worry about all that? Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's just it. I always, I always try to get my mind in the, in myself in the mind frame of the opposing defensive coordinator. Like it's Wednesday, it's install day. What are you worried about? And you hop on the whiteboard and it's like, all right, I got to worry about AJ Brown on the outside. Now I got to worry about some stack releases for, for Devonta Smith and how we're going to handle that. Oh, they're probably going to do some stuff for Quez. I mean, they're going to, maybe if Regor's still in there, now he's a slot receiver. He's got some two-way goes that he can take advantage of. Oh, oh yeah, now I got to worry about Dallas Garner, too. Like, like mm-hmm. what are you doing? Like, you might now be in a situation where you feel like you've got to play a lot of, you know, nickel and dime against a team that we know wants to run the football. Like, that's a lot to worry about. Are you going to stay in base? because you're worried about the run threat and then now you've got, you know, guys working against corners in one-on-one situations. Like, are you going to stay in base and make it so a Dallas Goddard is covered by a linebacker or are you going to go nickel? You're going to go dime because you're worried about all these weapons again against a team that would love to just run the ball if they could and has a very good running quarterback as well. Like that's a lot to worry about. And so, mm-hmm. I'm not getting a lot of sleep, you know, if I'm the opposing defensive coordinator the week before we play in the Eagles. I'm just not. It's crazy how one player can can just change the entire yeah. face of your offense so much. I mean, he yeah. fits in, and now all of a sudden you can expect to see just great great seasons from Quez, Dallas, and Devontae, and, and, and Jalen probably. Yeah. Um, I mean, you, you talked about Rager real quick. I don't know if you, you all saw the report about um, – about the Eagles trying to trade – well, the Ravens approached the Eagles about trading Chuck Clark for Rager. And from the phrasing, it seemed like the Eagles were the ones that said no, that, that, that the trade talks died down with that. I don't know. What, what, do you, what do you guys think of that? I feel like that's a trade I would, I would make. You get to, to address position of need. And, you know, I mean, Rager doesn't want to be here. He's kind of made that clear. I don't know. You yeah. ain't doing nothing but doubling back to what I said three weeks ago, what I said 20 minutes ago, what I'm about to say again. It's Marcus Epps season, baby. I don't know what it is to say about that. Like, they like You're Marcus Epps, truther, Epps. Dude. Like, what are you doing? Like, they like him. Listen, man, it doesn't hurt to have more D-backs, though, and we got a receiver. Yeah, it, never hurts. it never hurts to that. Never hurts to that. But at the same time, it hurts to do that if you're getting rid of pass catchers, because in this league you gotta have as many pass catchers as you can, all yeah. of them. And when and you're talking about a first round pick, whether he should have been one or not, that's up to you to decide. But you're talking about a first round pick pass catcher. You don't come up off those easy. 
You need Absolutely. value for that. But if he is become, if he is a malcontent, if he does, you know, bring a bad attitude with, I mean, he's deleted everything and then you know posted some things again and then deletes everything. I mean, like, you also have to think about like he doesn't want to be here. It seems like and, uh, who knows how the team is feeling about it. Like, there's going to be some type of politics about this. And I mean, I trust the Eagles locker room oh, no. to be able to move past something like this. I mean, the, it's just so public about it. And then he was. He tweeted something after the the AJ Brown trade and stuff. It's like, dude, like, chill out. It's it's your team, you know. Like, you guys are gonna do better. This is this is good for you. You're gonna have less pressure on you. I don't know. I think it's I think it's gonna be a little bit complicated, and we have to see how you know it'll be in the locker room. I mean, how I personally look at it is, it's one thing if you didn't make the AJ Brown trade, but you got AJ Brown now, so Rager effectively moved to a wide receiver role. So, yeah, you could talk to me about malcontents. If I really wanted to get rid of you, then I'm pretty sure we can acquire a fifth-round pick for Jalen Rager. At this point, we're just playing the value game, like how everything yeah. does. Because so I'm that's not, what I'm, that's, I'm that's not what I'm saying. Like, what would you take for, for what would you take for? Because I thought Chuck Clark would be would be would be a great you know uh, return. I mean, he's from Philly. That that's always nice, and you know, you get a safety in the room. We want to run too high. We're an injury away from you know playing somebody who's behind Marcus Epps. It might be Marcus Epps' season, but you know what? What are we doing behind Marcus? You know these these that was just the kind of thing that went through my head at that point. You, like, you, what you're saying. I, I can accept that. That's right. Yeah. Who knows? But uh, but anyways, you know now you know you you talked a little bit about you know how this is going to help our entire offense, uh, Mark. So how what 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 do you think this offense is going to look like going into year two of Hertz and Sirianni? He Hertz is finally going to have the same offensive coordinator and offensive staff for the first time since high school. I mean, he said the last time he had it was his dad, which is, which is crazy, you know? Yeah. So what is, what does this do for this pairing? I think it's huge. I mean, and when I was on with you guys last time, I, I talked about that continuity, you know, like you said, I mean, it's the first time he's had two straight years in the same offense for a long time. I mean, you go back Alabama, Oklahoma, Peterson, Sirianni, like that's a lot of changeover for a young quarterback. And, you know, we've seen four young quarterbacks that consistency and scheme and play caller is massive. And I think to his credit, look, Sirianni went through some self, you know, evaluation last year. This is a team that started out as a very like pass first offense early in the year. And then they realized like, no, you know, get it into some favorable situations, some second and fours. That's good for the offense. You know, they, they became sort of a, a run first offense, got themselves into some favorable down and distance situations. You saw the effect that that had on Jalen Hurts. But now you're talking about an, a, almost an ideal 11 personnel package, a quarterback with a second year in the same offense for the first time in a long time, a, a, a second year head coach now that has more experience, like game planning, putting together drives, string together play callers and plays. Like, I, I think. Look, you, to sit here right now, this looks like this could be your NFC East champions. Like, it, it really does. Mm. Like, this looks like a team that, you know, yes, Washington made some moves, but I'm not sold on them, what they've done. Giants seem a year or two away. They've got the Daniel Jones situation to think about. There are a lot of people that look at the Eagles right now. It's like, yeah, they're probably the team to beat right now, given what they've done this offseason. Now, of course, we got to play the games, mm-hmm. but I think this could be a very good team. And so um, on that topic of Jalen Hurts, uh, you know, it's been reported that he's been out in California this offseason training with a 3D QB. Um, what can you tell us about maybe some of their training regimen or what uh, his offseason training with them, him coming off that, what that could look like? Yeah, I mean, look, the play quarterback in the NFL right now 
when the games end, you got to start working. Like mm-hmm. the work never stops. Like it's not a situation. It's not a position where you can sort of take a couple of months off, a couple of weeks off, just like sort of work out and keep yourself in shape. You've got to refine mechanics year round. Like this is when that process is done. And, you know, that's a lot of what they're working on right now. They're working on keeping that throw in motion tight, that release crisp and quick, you know, because every quarter second matters in the NFL. And, you know, to its credit, that was one of the things that, you know, when I studied Hertz coming out of Oklahoma, the quarterback I saw at the, uh, after, you know, his final game to the senior bowl, you could see that work was already in process because he had a loopy throw in motion. It started to tighten up. And that's when I started to realize that, like, yeah, that there's an NFL quarterback here. And that work has to get done in, you know, February, March, April, because once you get into training camp, once you get into OTAs and minicamp and all that stuff, that's when the muscle memory has to be there. You know, I, you know, I coach quarterbacks myself and I tell them all the time, like, you know, watch Tim Tebow, watch Blake Bortles. We would write all the time, like, oh, yeah, they're working on their mechanics. They're working on their mechanics. And then the second the game started happening and live reps came in, it all falls apart because that muscle memory is there. Muscle memory. It's over. So you have to get that work done and it has to really sort of stick in now. So that's what they're really working on, keeping that throw in motion in the upper body tight. You know, so you don't lose, you don't get that dip and loop and draw to the throw in motion because if you do, that's been a bugaboo for Hertz. That's been a bugaboo for other young quarterbacks. Is if you develop that, then it can sort of like that muscle memory kicks in. So it's third and seven, and you're trying to throw that stick out route on time and in rhythm, and then you do this and then you draw it back, and it's a half step late. Like mm-hmm. if it's here and out, it's much quicker. And that's why the kids that I coach now, I'm like, you have to learn this stuff now, you know, because you get to the upper level high school college like that's when it's too late and, and mm-hmm. so that's the work that hurts is doing like he's i'm, I'm excited nice. that he's already tightened it up to begin with but it's just it's got to be that ongoing process that's what they're working on right now keeping that throw in motion tight as possible so that every second is working in his favor on on a third and seven trying to throw that stick out right on time so, yeah, you know, we heard him in his uh, press conference he had a couple of days ago. You know, he talked about being much more concise and consistent with everything. And to me, you know, when I watch him, I'm nowhere near the level of quarterback analysis you are. But it just seems like, you know, that's what it needs to be. Everything just, need, just needs to be much more concise and well. It's very, much like a, it's very much like a golf swing. Like, yeah. you know, when you're throwing from a clean pocket, you want it to be as repeatable, as quick, and as smooth as possible. Like, there are going to be moments when, yeah, you're going to have to drop the arm angle. You have to move and, and find a way to get the ball out. You might have to throw it around a defender coming off the edge. You might have to do something differently based on pressure. But when you've got that clean pocket to throw from, it has to be a smooth, quick, repeatable, and like you said, concise throw in motion. Just like, you know, on the on the golf course, you want it to be as repeatable as possible. Same thing with the throw in motion. You want it to be as smooth, quick, and repeatable as, pro- as possible so you have that consistency in the release point, and that's what's going to make you an accurate passer. Yeah. Claude, did you have anything? Oh, kinda... All right, go. Here we go. So we've kind of, I like to put it, reached full circle. Of course, Mark, as you know, and of course, as you guys know, me and you did a piece like long before Jalen Hurts' second season heading into the year. It's his first full-time year as a starter. And me and you and Park have had the conversation last time you was on the pod up until right now. And 
as I said, it's almost like a full circle thing where who is Jalen Hurts is what I present to everyone. I mean, we've seen him. Our, we've had our conversations, both us as a group and us separately in terms of, well, he's still a young quarterback learning. He rarely has 17 career starts. This is his first year as a starter. All of these good things. And, I mean, all I could ever date back to when discussing Hurts, especially when we're discussing who is Jalen Hurts, is the quote we had right before the combine when he said, I have no ceiling. I have no limit. Like, how good I can be is literally up to Jalen Hurts. So, when you when you take everything that we've just discussed into context, you see the trades that, again, this is something that I'm about to drop a piece on. This might actually be something that I reach back out to you for. And just, do, like I said, the final sequence to all of this stuff where – we know who Jalen Hurts is as the player. We know who Jalen Hurts is as the person. We've got the chance to see you as a, a full-time starter. That 14 games, I think he missed two games. So, we know who you are. Now, as a team, I like to think the Eagles started this. I could be wrong, but it's something that's like a trend in the league where head into your second year as a full-time starter, and if you're a really competent franchise, you go get your quarterback or number one pass catcher. And, yeah, we had Devonta Smith, but you go get him as many weapons as you can and be successful. That's what the league is trending towards. Jalen Hurts has kind of reached that point where, well, you've got all your excuses. Everything is off the table. It's, it's on you now, pal. Which brings me back to a question. Who does Mark Schofield think Jalen Hurts is? And why should people in Philadelphia be sold on Jalen Hurts heading into this year? Because we have a whole lot of people who have that last game in Tampa stuck in their mind, man. And, I mean, I don't blame them. It was ugly, really ugly. But then as you take into account everything I just said about a young quarterback, a quarterback heading into year two, a person who has a whole lot of progression left to be made and no excuse left in front of them, what is there left for Philadelphia fans? I mean, you're talking about a quarterback that now has been put into a situation where, like you said, he has a team that is built around him now. You know, the Philadelphia Eagles with, with three first-round draft picks, they had an opportunity if they wanted to to take any quarterback they 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 had graded as their QB1. They didn't do that. They went out and they got Jalen Hurts and what? The weapon in, in A.J. Brown. And that tells you everything you need to know about where this organization views Jalen Hurts. Now, yes, they – kicked around on Russell Wilson because yeah, Russell Wilson, you're going to try to acquire a quarterback like that. But short of doing that, they built around Jalen Hurts. And they told us at the combine that they believe that Jalen Hurts is doing the things that he needs to do day in and day out to get to where he needs to be. Where does he need to be? He needs to be a top 12 quarterback in this league. Can he get there this year? I think he can. I honestly think he can because the acquisition of AJ Brown and what that does, that trickle down effect that I talked about for this offense with the things that he can work on in the offseason with respect to his throw motion mechanics, and now that ability to be a team that stresses defenses sideline to sideline, line of scrimmage, and 60 yards downfield. Like, you can stress every blade of grass. You force defenses to have to defend every blade of grass. It's not like last year where as a defense, you had bracket coverages on the outside, you stayed deep over the top of stuff, and you said, look, if Jalen Hurts is going to suddenly figure out how to throw underneath and over the middle – We'll tip our hat to him. He's not going to do that, so we don't have to worry about it. Now you're going to have to worry about that. You're going to force defensive coordinators to have those sleepless nights. So ultimately, what can Jalen Hurts be this year? 
I think he could be a top 12 quarterback in this league because of what they've added. Now that's here in May. He has to go out and do it. And like you said, the sort of catchphrase around the Eagles right now is no excuses for Jalen Hurts. And I can understand why, given what they've added. But that's where he needs to be, and I do think he can get there this year. We'd love to hear perfectly that. Say, perfectly say it. Couldn't have said it better ourselves. This is something that we've tried to have conversations with people about before. And, I mean, of course, as Pierre said, we don't have the quarterback analysis that you have in our back pocket. But all we're trying to get the public to understand is you're talking about a quarterback who played his first career playoff game in his first year as a starter, first of all, something we tried to get Carson Wentz to do for the longest. So he kind of checked off not, that box. Not, not because you're off, but I feel like that's something that, that gets lost amongst Eagles fans a lot. You know, the fact that this past season was his first season as a starter, you know, like this is, was his first time, uh, full time, seeing and reading NFL level defenses. Yep. You know, these things don't happen overnight, man. No, they don't. I mean, look at look at what Josh Allen did in his first playoff game against Houston. Like, it was almost comical. He was throwing to like triple covered fullbacks on go routes. Like, now he's probably the guy in the league, right? That everybody points exactly. to as like him and Mahomes and Herbert. Like, those are the guys you want to have your offense. Exactly. And all I can think about in this, the same way you say that, is you watched. We all watched the Super Bowl two years ago. And we all know what our thinks, our thoughts of are of Patrick Mahomes. Patrick Mahomes is a, a great quarterback, probably in consideration to be one of the greatest of his era, maybe the greatest of all time if he continues at this trait. In the same breath, the same net, he ran into Todd Bowles and had nothing coming. There was yep. nothing he could do. It was terrible. So we're gonna criticize a quarterback who ran into the same. The same defensive coordinator who made us think that somebody we think could have potential to be the greatest quarterback of all time looked like a fool. And we're going to take that and right. say, this quarterback isn't good enough to be in the league. That's my whole thing. That's right. Totally agree. But anyways, thank you so much, Mark, for, for hopping on. It's always a pleasure. Uh, QB1 on, uh, on the field and in our hearts, as usual. In our hearts and our minds and everywhere else you guys want to go, man. Everywhere are, else, man. I tell you all the time, Mark, we appreciate you and everything you do for us. You are literally the man, man. We, we Again, we are honored to be in your presence and appreciate you for coming on, brother. Really appreciate oh, of course. Anytime, anytime. Love you guys, man. Happy to come on anytime. Really yeah, and uh, uh, let people know where they can reach you at, Mark. Yeah, um, on, on the Twitter, the old bird app, at Mark Schofield. Um, USA Today's Touchdown Wire, a uh, bunch of different places of espionation, Big Review, Blogging the Boys, Bleeding Green Nation, Pat's Pulpit. But on Twitter, at Mark Schofield is the easiest way to find me. Definitely, man. And I must tell you guys, um, I know you guys got as much draft analysis as you could over here at the Philly Blitz. But if you can take the time to check into what Mark Schofield and Doug Farrard had going on this offseason, really good stuff. Really good yes, stuff. Well, thanks, man. Yeah. And um, just to wrap up, uh, thanks for tuning in. Uh, be sure to visit thephillyblitz.com and check out our podcast network available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and whichever podcast streaming platform you're listening on. And be sure to subscribe to us on YouTube at The Philly Blitz. Uh, thank you for joining us, and uh, have a great day. Go Birds! Go Birds!